I, I would love to see architecture evolve more broadly into kind of a community or citizen architect rather than this, this view of this architect that we've all grown up with. Um, and I think we're growing in that way, which is which is cool and hopeful. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello and welcome to Architecting. This is a podcast about the lives of architects. About the people and stories behind the buildings that we see around us and the images that brought them to life. And with the very international world that we live in. This show will purposefully be local and narrow. Only focusing on the Colorado community of designers. I'm your host, Adam Wagner. I'm a Denver-based architect. I'm married to an architect. I have two architecture degrees, and I've worked for a dozen different architecture firms in three different countries. But for the last five years, I've been rooted in Denver, where I am at Open Studio Architecture, and I teach at the University of Colorado, Denver. I like connecting with other designers and learning from their experiences. So now I'm broadcasting these stories with the goal of creating a stronger local community. So this brings us to today's guest, Rachel Johnson. So Rachel is another architect like Rick Peterson, who I met through my good friend, the architect and engineer, Miles Dake. Um, I spent most of my time with her in and around the AIA and other community events where she is is very active. Um, this, is, this is one of the reasons, the big reasons I wanted to have her on the show. Uh, the idea of this podcast is to better help bring together the Colorado community of designers. And Rachel is one of those key members who really helps to um, to really knit this community together. She has deep roots in Colorado. She grew up in Fort Collins and attended undergrad and graduate school at the University of Colorado in Boulder and then in Denver as well. Um Rachel has worked in a number of roles within the AIA, most notably um, bringing the Christopher Kelly Leadership Development Program to Colorado, and now this year becoming the AIA Colorado president. So we talk about Rachel's ideas um, for the organization, for the AIA, and dive into her her theories uh, on storytelling and placemaking um, in architecture, especially within the healthcare environment where she spent most of her career so far um, with Davis Partnership and now uh, at the Smith Group. So mostly, Rachel is just a really great friend and someone who I enjoyed catching up with and hearing more about her her story and her approach to architecture and, and people and how, how architecture can can help people, um, especially when they're at their, their kind of lowest. So I hope you enjoy this episode and remember to to check us out on Instagram or go to architect-ing.com to see images of Rachel's work. Thanks. How's your day? What have you been up to? Good. Um, I got to work out with my mom. Mm. I uh, got to chat with some AIA folks. We invited our volunteers for a training session today so we got to talk to them um trying to keep my cat off my computer <laughs> and the boyfriend's cooking so oh nice <laughs> actually a great day that's a cool uh backdrop you have there is it like a, a painting easel it's yeah that's an easel my noli map of rome ah. uh, and then two mountain pillows that my best friend made for me <laughs> that's that's like a perfect uh, Colorado architect set up there, I, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I see your fancy ladder, your CNC ladder. Oh, yeah. Yep. I we saw have the, the we have photos. Have the loft ladder back there that goes up to our children cage that uh, we have. That's so cool. uh, <laughs> I know. I, you know, it's like obviously the pandemic has been so difficult, but it's like, it's made us do all these things with our house and, and with other things that I wouldn't have done, you know, <laughs> making a tree house, making a loft. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Congrats you. This is awesome. Good job. Yeah. This has been a fun, a fun little thing. Um, 
it's nice to just be able to connect with people and especially this time, you know, but. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Rachel Johnson, who, who are you? There's so much to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, to start off, I, you have me on here because I am our 2021 AI Colorado president this year. That's not um, why I have you on here, but that's just a portion of I think of that's why. probably the only no, reason no, why. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's my volunteer role this year, um, but I consider myself a learner, and first and foremost, um, family gal, and definitely a design brain, um, whether that's in architecture or elsewhere. Um, but I think this year I've definitely embraced the learner part of my life, hmm. uh, being at home, getting extra time, um, picking up new hobbies, and having to cook for ourselves. Uh, it's been a learning year for sure. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, so are you're from here, right? You're from, from Denver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Fort Collins. So Fort Collins, technically yeah. I was born in Phoenix, but, uh, three days into my life, I decided it was too hot. So we moved here. <laughs> I grew up in Fort Collins. My mom had a new job lined up. So, um, as soon as I was able to travel as a baby, she was, on the road so so she just did that to deny you the the native status that's so important mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. and uh yeah. no all the natives say that i i equal native so i'm taking that i'm going with that yeah um i can't remember any other moment in my life where i didn't live here uh at least for for a portion of my time so i'm definitely native to colorado as far as i can be um grew up in northern colorado um and then went to see Boulder, see Denver, and basically have stayed here in Denver. Nice. You're like a, you're a good first in that way. I don't, I haven't had anybody on yet who's like gone see you all the way through. Uh, so, it's yeah. nice. so, so tell me about, um, so when you went to see you Boulder, did you think about any other schools or was it just kind of like, this is the place and. Well, I, I was a hockey player, so mm. I definitely wanted to go to Minnesota. Um, they have the the like the high level D one hockey teams. They also have the lower level, but they still get to play in the fancy arena. And they have an architecture program though. So I was convinced I was going to Minnesota, but it wasn't within my mom's comfort level of a ten hour drive uh, radius. Um, also, we grew up CSU Rams fans, so it was a hard transition to, to uh, be a buff, yeah. but they have architecture there and I knew that's what I wanted to do. So it was, it was obvious. My sister had gone there. Um, we're pretty close and it's a, it's a really great school. So it's pretty easy. Um, I think anything else that, that kind of drew me away from Colorado or CU would have been hockey related um, or just, Hey, cool. Let's go to school in Rome, but no one's going to pay for that. So <laughs> I stayed here and I love it. So tell me, so, you know, I know the school now, but I only know Denver, you know, like I'm, I'm totally kind of divorced from Boulder since they kind of split or since mm -hmm. I moved here. So what was the, what was the program like then in Boulder and how has it kind of changed, I guess? Oh man, you're testing me. Well, so when I was there, Boulder was the program. Um, there was some programming here in Denver on a grad school level. Um, but, but not as robust as it is now. So I lived in Boulder, all of my classes were in Boulder. Um, if anything, we had some fabrication classes were, were either off site or off campus or in Denver. Um, so not, not really much outside of the Boulder campus, but when I moved to Denver and came to grad school here, um, maybe a year or two after I left, was when they started transitioning to the program you know now um, and we're hitting accreditation time and kind of all of those things stacked up to um, just kind of rehauling the program and seeing how we could better um, leverage staff and leverage student time and student resources amongst the two campuses or between the two campuses um, so I think it made sense to bring everyone here and leave the environmental design piece over in boulder there so was that weird like when because you went you went right from undergrad to grad right so mm -hmm. so 
it was like you came to Denver and then then the program kind of followed you in a way yeah like yeah. and was it like professors coming over like did everybody come over I, I think like some people kind of stayed in Boulder right but it, it was piecemeal yeah um I I TA'd for a couple of folks back in Boulder um on the Boulder campus while I was in grad school so so there was still stuff going on but um I think it was maybe my graduation year was when that transition started and then I've been back since for programs for um just to visit folks or for some uh, kind of citywide architecture stuff, tours, presentations. And every time I go back, something's new. Some new floor has been renovated. Um, new program has been brought and it's, it seems to be pretty robust now. And, um, you know, on the board, we have Mark Swackhammer and he gets to share all the, the latest with us every time we meet. So it's, it's good to hear. It seems yeah. like a really healthy program. And, it has changed so much since, yeah. I, since I participated. Mark especially is, is so great. They've been a great addition yeah. lately. Uh, yeah. So who are, who are some of the He's people? So serious. He's so serious. He, <laughs> maybe with you, I don't know. He, he gets gets crazy around me now. I uh, think he takes his work seriously and yes. it's, it's refreshing. To see That's that. true. So who were who some of the, the people in undergrad, especially that, that, that really influenced you um well i i don't think he'd be listening to this he's not in colorado anymore i don't think but um matthew jalasic was one of my professors mm. who day one made me draw squares and circles freehand um to perfection so i have i still have the sketchbook with mm. the squares and circles in it but from that point on i called them squares and circles <laughs> you know with my family or friends um but he made a kid cry the first day um, and we were off to that kind of start. But I do remember, you know, lately I've been pretty passionate about storytelling and space making. So and kind of the intersection of the two. Um, but actually Matt was the one who uh, kind of cemented that in my head that that was, a, that was a thing and that was a thing that architects get to do. And that's the thing that architects have responsibility over. Um, is choreographing that. So, so he showed a, a clip from Pixar's Ratatouille in class, mm. and we kicked off uh, a few weeks in like food choreography or kitchen choreography. So we, while we were learning drafting and kind of the basics, um, we built a menu. We built a space around that menu, and um, it was it was basically a space built around a story, which. I fell in love with right away and any chance I get, that's what I want to do. Hmm. Um, but he was definitely a big driver, both in the discipline that it takes to be a good designer, to, to be focused and, and actually care about people and the design you're presenting. Um, but he, he also was tough and he taught me a lot. And um, he was one of those guys that you love to hate and you hate to love. And, <laughs> Um, I envy his sketchbooks. It, it was a it was a pretty great experience. Um, I had him a couple times throughout my undergrad career. Um, I did have some stellar female professors. Um, Laura Malinen is one of them. Um, she's up at CSU right now, and um, I, I thought it was nice to see the women. Uh, even back then, that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, that wasn't common. You know, it was, it was still, still Colorado, still pretty, pretty even mix, but um, a lot of my professors were men, older men. Um, so Laura just kind of surprised me, made me happy, <laughs> made yeah. me proud. Yeah. Um, and I, I think my last one, I call him my Yoda. Um, Ronko Ruzic, mm. who was my grad school professor, um, he also came over for our study abroad program in Rome. Um, but just the stuff he would say was genius. And <laughs> some of it I don't think he meant, some of it I think he definitely did. Um, but everything he said was magical to me and um, 
I to this day idolize the man and <laughs> have the highest respect for him. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think that that idea of like storytelling is really interesting to me. Um, I feel like it's fairly difficult. I mean, to, to really get it integrated into or how it becomes integrated into a project. So were you able to, did you kind of understand that as a kind of specialty in a way? And were you able to like refine it and work on it in grad school or? Um, it, it's been more of a realization these days, I think in the last few years. Um, I, I can look back and say I've been mm. passionate about this my whole life, but but I've not really recognized it until maybe the last five years. Um, and and no, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a practice that needs to be honed or um, sought. I think it's just there. It's it's something that's there that can be um, can help benefit anyone, anything, any project. I think people existing in a space inherently produce stories um, that bring stories. Um, so as static as these objects that we create might seem, they're not at all. Um, light changes, air changes, people change within that space and therefore the space change. So I, I grew up drawing a floor pan, plan of my bedroom. Um, you know, anytime I'd wanna rearrange stuff, I'd draw a floor plan of it. And I didn't quite know what that was, but I knew what it meant um, because I wanted to understand how I was gonna exist in this space. and. I think architects think about things perhaps not backwards to us, but backwards to other people in that um, we think about the space and, and what could happen in the space rather than simply finding a way to exist within it that fits, that works, that, that makes sense. Um, so we're kind of on the front end, whereas other people get to experience it and then think about what that means or, or how that looks. Um, but I, I think it's, I think it's a wonderful idea. I've been reading a lot of books on storytelling. Um, actually, Adam Harding got me hooked on a couple of those books. Mm. And um, I, you look at any media that we consume, Pixar is a great example. They're creating story within space and the space is all on a screen, but it's still a space that has shadow, that has depth, that has um, physical area. Um, to, to be occupied by characters, by stories, by life. Uh, and I think that's what we're doing. That's what's so important about what we're doing and how we go about doing it. I think the how is kind of what we struggle with day to day. Yeah, I think that, that that's really interesting. You, you, you're talking about it in that kind of terms and, and that how, yeah, is what I come back to a lot, right? Of, of how much of a, of a sort of like accepting container are you creating, right? To allow for stories like unexpected story versus the kind of like how much, how much can or do you choreograph, right? Uh, and like project those possibilities versus um, al allowing it to happen, I guess, or right. um, yeah, that's an interesting balance. Um, Cause I, I, I was, I've been teaching a seminar where it's about like, uh, like narrative and architecture and representation coming together. And so I'm having them, it, it ends up being this big, like tapestry drawing where it's supposed to be about these like little micro stories where they take any kind of random story they want and they combine it with a, an architecture and a representational style. And so like trying to weave those together to make each of them more rich. So you're like discovering different things about the architecture because you have a story and you're and you're enriching the story because you have an architectural space but it's like i've been trying to figure out how to transition that from just like an idea of an image or representation into like a design process you know uh and and i've been hitting been hitting walls with it like how how that it's like either like super super programmed and super um concrete or like open and then it it's kind of what's there but so so yeah I, have you I, had success but, yeah well I think the interesting thing is regardless of which story you choose to either direct your design or react to your design there are about a thousand different stories in in real design and the work that we do every day how many people walk through any one building um 
on any certain day with any certain circumstance or, or mindset, um, considering the different stories or the different scenarios that, that could exist, that could pair with what you're trying to do. Um, I, I don't know, I think, I think we see this a lot. I do a lot of healthcare work. Um, that's solely what I practice. And we go about evidence-based design. And, and hmm. in that we focus on scenarios. So we look at the different options um, to, to simplify it, we look at option A, option B, option C, and all the different people who interact with that design. Hmm. Um, and, and that kind of tells you whether that story works or it doesn't um, based on who is interacting with it, who is building the new story. Because um, you can bring a story into a space, you can bring a space into a story, but when they interact is where the magic happens. Um, you know, a human walking through a building nothing's happening until that person steps on that first step so that step wasn't really a step until someone used it as a step it was just a it was just a corner it was just an edge um so yeah i, I think scenario-based conversation planning thinking um perhaps to my detriment has been fun <laughs> if you always think of the worst case scenario you're planning on the worst then you might be surprised um, if you're always thinking of best case scenario, same thing, you might be disappointed, um, but at least you've tried them all. Yeah. I mean, I think you're really interesting again in the way of like, you, it seems like you've pretty much solely focused on healthcare or in your career, right? And it's like, that's mm -hmm, such yep. a specific typology that I have no experience at and, and kind of scared of, right? But it's like, um, it, it does seem to kind of marry a little bit nicer with this idea that you're talking about of like narrative and um, scenarios. So it's like, are you really getting into like very specific kind of scenarios? I think that's what the word you, you use, like when you're talking about design, like, yeah, like, like event kind of things, or it's experiential for different types of people or. Um, in healthcare specifically, we, like I said, we, we focus on the evidence. Um, we focus on, you know, how can you prove your case and how can you better the patient experience? Um, but over time, there have been conversations and kind of pools of thought. Um, you know, what does the doctor experience look like? What does the nurse experience look like? How can we decrease the amount of steps a nurse has to take when they're delivering medication? Um, but when that happens, what are we doing to the patients or their families who visit? Um, so all of these things sometimes conflict, sometimes run in harmony. Um, but you kind of have to look at it all both in concert with one another, but separately as well as individual components. Um, healthcare is, is a different beast. It's, it's very specific. Um, but, but it can be very open and broad depending on what you have, depending on what kind of project or what kind of client you have. Yeah. Because what, what's, that, what's that evidence look like? So when you say evidence-based, like what, what sort of things are you measuring? Is it, is it the this amount of steps it takes to get across or is it satisfaction or what? Well, heck, you can measure anything, right? <laughs> um, some of the historic ones, uh, I think it was called a view through a window um, where a patient, one patient had a window that, that looked out onto a tree and another patient had a window out onto a brick wall. Hmm. So both had windows, but the view was different and the healing process for one was faster than the other. And I bet you can guess which, um, but it's, it's basically a scientific process that you learned as a kid in third grade. Um, but your variable is some design solution. So that's, that's one method that's the more scientific method that um, we all try to go through. The doctors go through that so they're familiar with the kind of terminology and process. And then there's also um, kind of the softer things, the softer side of things like how do you measure a sensation? How do you measure satisfaction? Um, you can survey people, you can talk to patients and doctors and nurses, you can observe them. Um, but really it's all, it's all quality based. It's, it's qualitative, not quantitative. You can't write it down really. Um, so it's, 
it always ends up being a case by case scenario. We we talk to specific clients and specific users and um, don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel every time, but we do have our toolkit of, you know, research and evidence and um, qualitative descriptions, but we can't necessarily repeat them or use them all in the same way as we did last time. Mm. Um, it, it's a, it's a beast. It's a big, big beast. And, um, Everyone experiences a healthcare environment at some point. Um, even just going to get your COVID shot at some point. I, I've experienced, um, you know, back early on, my mom was diagnosed with leukemia and mm. getting to see her stressed out and struggling. Um, I volunteered before I got an architecture job at a cancer treatment facility. Mm. Um, I went through a difficult diagnosis myself and, and all of those experiences where you're watching someone else, you're watching the doctors, you're sitting on the bed, staring up at the horrible lights in the hallway. Um, all of those are stories within a space and, and sometimes are really scary stories. So it's a, it's a great place to problem solve and play through those scenarios and talk to the people who are actually going to live there and be there and experience that day to day. So how, yeah, I mean, so how early did you know that that's, did you know that's what you wanted to go into? Like you graduated, you're going after Davis to get into that or did it, did it just kind of land for you? What, what was that graduation like in that job process? Well, no one was hiring when I graduated. Um, mm. I was interviewing weekly, submitting resumes daily. Um, I actually met a good friend, Art Hoy, who's a sole practitioner in town. Um, who said, you know, I, I don't really hire anyone. I'm not hiring right now, but I do know people. So, you know, come to me with this uh, on this job site. He let me accompany him as his quote unquote intern for a few months. But he started introducing me to a couple of people in town, one of which was Brian Erickson at Davis. Mm. Um, and Brian at first said, well, we don't really have a spot for you, but, um, you know, come back, talk to us, keep, keep us posted. If you ever get another job offer, let me know first. And when I left Brian's conference room, I, um, I continued my job as a receptionist at the cancer center. Um, but that, that month, we actually started a project of bringing in new machines. So bringing in new, um, it was a tomotherapy and a cyber knife machine at the facility. And they needed help drawing and measuring things. Their mm. physicists wanted to measure certain distances and make sure our shielding's right. So I got to put, um, you know, healthcare architecture work on my resume in a small sense. Mm. Um, but when I finally called Brian and said, hey, I got a job offer. I'm about to leave the state. He said, no, 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 come in today. And I got a job that day. But I, I believe that my experience within the healthcare realm kind of kicked that off for me and all at the same time we're getting these diagnosis diagnoses in my family um that just made it that much more potent and real mm. for me um i also come from a family of teachers so so my top choices for architecture were schools or healthcare. Mm. and davis actually had both um and the healthcare project that i got to start on was just starting out brand new nearby um, and, and fairly big. Um, so at that point, you can't really leave. You've gained so much knowledge and it's a very specialized realm. So um, I was hooked and still on. Hmm. So tell me about Davis. Uh, it's kind of a mystery for me over there. So it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big firm, right? How, how many people are, are there? Well, I'm no longer at Davis. Well, yeah, you're not there, but, but right, right, right. Yeah. But when you, um, when you were Davis, there, yeah. I think is, I think they're over 200 now. Hmm. Um, so with Davis years ago, I believe it was 2014. Um, I actually moved with some colleagues to what was Davis's new joint venture out in uh, Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia. Hmm. So Davis has always been a local firm, one of the big local firms, longstanding. Um, but they branched out. They found a firm out there that was solely healthcare, had some pretty good experience in evidence-based design and 
patient-centered design. Um, Barbara Hewlett. Barbara Hewlett is was their partner. Is still practicing as a consultant now. Um, but that experience was was pretty cool. Um, Davis here is big. Hewlett back east is is a small firm, so we were um, a, a small little healthcare design family and. Getting to see both sides of Davis was was just fascinating. Um, I don't think they had had a small operation except for up in Vale before, um, but that's close to home, and this is not. Um, but I, I think it's a pretty tight family over there, and has been since day one. A lot of them have stuck around 20, 30 plus years. Yeah, yeah. It seems like people stay for a while, but. Yeah. So what was that like for you finally kind of getting out of the state and going to Virginia? How long were you there? I was in Virginia a year and a half. Um, I've always loved the area and it was, it was awesome to live there. Um, I did choose Colorado the second time around when I, when I was brought here as a baby, I didn't choose Colorado, but I lucked into it. Um, so as a young 20 something, it felt good to, leave, go explore, go on adventures, and then get to choose Colorado as my home um, as a conscious adult decision. But I, I do love the fact that I live there. Um, I love to go back. This week, especially DC has been on my mind. Um, but it, it was a great place. Alexandria is an awesome uh, city and everything's walkable culture is so rich over there and then when I came back I was in the middle of um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and was pretty sick at the time um, and all my family's back here so they were you know we were all talking you know come back and we can help take care of things um, but moving back was was a great homecoming I had my firm I had all my people um, but it, it was a slower pace it was definitely chill like me, I don't, I don't need to be fast paced competitive like the East Coast, but um, it was also nice because we still had our DC office, our Alexandria office, and I was kind of the point person to mm. collaborate with them and, and figure out some tech issues, you know, cross collaboration across the country is tough as we've all learned. Um, but it was a, it was an easy transition when I still got to work with them, got to come home to everybody I know um and basically there was no cold start cold end for me yeah alexandria seems like a, a cool place it's like it's so many kind of young like political interns and stuff right like it, the bars kind mm -hmm. of fill up pretty fast and it, yeah it has yeah. a good feeling to the fabric and um at, what was the kind of architectural scene like there did you did you lock into that there or was it just kind of a short-term thing for you yeah um that's actually where i got started really with my heavy volunteerism in aia so i i worked with aia northern virginia which was in alexandria there and then i also was accepted into a program at aia dc which actually your wife is heavily involved in mm -hmm. chris Kelly leadership development program um i was a scholar in their second year so it is a brand new program then. And um, <laughs> one of my friends who, who was leading the program at the time is a good friend now, Ryan McEnroe, um, likes to joke with me that he thought I was too young and he thought I wasn't gonna do well in the program. <sighs> and he's proud to see that I did well and have brought it elsewhere. Um, but it, it, was, it was awesome because you got to meet outside of the competitive environment that we experience every day in talking to or talking about or talking with other firms, we were all collaborating. Um, my partner worked at RTKL at the time and I've maintained friendships with a few of those folks and, and talk to them regularly at conferences and keep in touch. Um, so that kind of started my, my community, national architecture community. Um, regarding buildings and, and kind of what there is to see there's so much to see there um 
and the historic side is is very fascinating to me just like you were saying in, in Alexandria it's a pretty hip place but you're also walking on bricks that George Washington walked on <laughs> and that sense I couldn't quite get it out of my head um, you walk downtown and you see different layers of bricks from different construction periods and, and fires and um, <laughs> attacks on the city and all of these big, big stories that, that affected the architecture and affected what we built. Um, I remember every spring, it's a strange thing, which I wasn't aware of when I moved there, but there's a monsoon season in DC. And in March, <laughs> when I moved, it was flooding. <laughs> so, you know, this old harbor town um, flooded every spring and the Starbucks out on the water would have sandbags. And, you know, sometimes it was open, sometimes it wasn't, but it was just an environmental thing that I didn't know existed. That was a big deal. And everyone dealt with it there all the time. Um, so being a native to Colorado and experiencing this very specific climate, it was an adventure to just go see, you know, there was a holly bush outside my apartment and new bird sounds and um, big city seven miles away. Um, it, was a, it was a big new world um, and a lot going on. Yeah. That's funny. A lot, a lot of new stories to design around, right? <laughs> a lot of different exactly. factors. Yeah. And yeah, so like you said, so yeah, my wife, you got Rebecca really into Christopher Kelly and she's the chair this year. Um, so tell us a little more about that. So what's what's that program about and what what's the kind of structure of it? Sure. Um, Chris Kelly was a rising star, young professional. Um, he served on national AI committees. He was a pretty big deal in his own firm um, locally at DC. And at the time, AIADC was looking at uh, incorporating an emerging professionals for leadership development program. They didn't quite know where to head with that. But um, we lost Chris suddenly and all of a sudden his friends, his colleagues rallied and said, you know what, this program, whatever it is, is gonna be in his name. Mm. Um, so they, they looked at a couple models. There are a couple other AIA chapter programs. Um, I think Kansas City has one, but ultimately it's a nine month program, 16 scholars who all apply competitively to be a part of it. And um, the scholars get paired up. They pick a certain subject matter or topic that are basically prescribed or, or created um, month to month. And they create a four hour program or five hour program. So in my year, we had speakers, we had activities. Um, we always went on a walking tour of an office or some building in DC. And it, it was, a, it was a, an eye-opening experience to get to see other offices and see how other people function and see what levels people were at. Um, I know every year people worry that the, the codes and contracts um, session is gonna be the most boring and the driest and the horrible session that we have to sit through. And ours was great. We had a, a tiny little lady, <laughs> small but powerful woman come in, she's a lawyer um, and she kind of, whipped us through this um, contracts workshop um, and it felt like I was problem solving like a mm. I don't know my normal problem solving architecture brain was was happy at work there um, on a topic that I frankly didn't care about previously um, but when I left DC I called Ryan and Sean who were running the program and helped start it back in DC and um, I said you know we don't have anything like that here in Colorado I know how to make it happen. I know who to talk to. I've gotten their permission. I've talked to the board. And they said, <laughs> okay, well, it's, it's January. It took us much longer to start the program, but if you, if you can, start in August. Um, so with a program that no one had heard about in a state where maybe people remembered me, maybe they didn't, um, 
I basically went about trying to plan this thing with a few helpers along the way. So we had Corey White, who I think is now located in Chicago, but she was here um, and pretty heavily involved with AIA. And then uh, Christina Wynn, who has since moved away as well, but these were instrumental people in helping me out. Um, I basically said, you know, if, if we need to run this alone, if we have zero applicants or one or two, let's make it happen. Let's figure out how to do it just so it can, we can show proof of concept. Um, I, I talked to one huge helper with Sherry Giroux. She, she gave me a list of about 20 names that I should go contact and have lunch with and get on my roster of speakers. Um, but the first year was enormously successful. Um, AIA loved it, participants loved it, and speakers were honored to be a part of it. Um, I remember I invited my uncle, who is now Dean of the School of Ed at Johns Hopkins, so a big deal for his own stuff. Um, I invited him to come and speak as a leader, just general leadership. Tell us about what you think and, and what we should be focusing on. And this is our kickoff session. And he'd heard about my participation in the program um, and the, the hour after he spoke, he was sweating and he said, oh my gosh, I was, I was so nervous. This was a big deal. I didn't want to disappoint you. I didn't want to embarrass myself. Um, and he did a great job and that kind of kicked off the, the spirit of the program in that we don't need to just talk to architects. Architects talking to architects has happened forever. Um, the really special piece is what can we do as architects in the greater community with the greater community? And I think that's where the program really shines is when we break out of that shell and are able to do what we do with the cohort we have, but grow that cohort, grow that, um, that community, because we all experience buildings, whether we're designing them or heating them or cleaning them, whatever, we're all using them. Um, so we can't keep the conversation to ourselves at that point. Yeah. So was that, I mean, I, when I, when I first met you, I mean, it's such an impressive thing to, to like bring a program into the AIA and like spearhead that. And so was that, was that sort of a normal-ish thing for you to like take an initiative like that? Or was that something new, a, a kind of a leap that's led to more leaps? <laughs> I, I was always seeking a learning opportunity. Like I said, I'm a learner. I love that. I identify with that. Um, so I've applied for things. I've signed up for scholarships. Um, I've gotten to attend some healthcare conferences that no one would pay for unless I told you about my life and why I care. And there was a, a fund for that. Um, I think that was that was probably the the extent of my extracurricular efforts. I, I've always been involved, I've always volunteered, but I've never had an opportunity like this or an opening. Um, and I'm I'm the youngest of two girls in my family, and so I'm not the I'm not the first one to speak up. Um, but I did want to get involved and I did think that this is a great program and it was definitely worth sharing um, and I knew the people to help me do it so it seemed easy um, it was stressful but it was simple um, and I and I don't think the program will die I think it in Chris's honor I think it will live on and um, so yes that was my first foray into spearheading something big um, I didn't expect it to be this successful. I had high expectations, but um, it has surprised me in a really great way. And the reception around it and the participation has, has really been um, a community effort and a community project, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it seems, I mean, I always, now that we share the same office space with Becca, you know, I always get to like overhear the sessions and, and listen to it. And, and it is always interesting kind of, yeah, the different guests you get and the different connections that, that are made. I think especially this year where it it doesn't have to be as local, I think, you know, it's easier to bring people from different places and, and some pretty big names and things. Um, yeah, so that, that, has, that has been fun to kind of see that, especially through her eyes. But so, yeah. so from that then, 
then you really kind of kept doubling down on the AIA, right? I mean, like, <laughs> that's the other thing. Since I've known you, you've always been, had some position in the AIA, but, and now, and now you're, you're up at the, the top here at the local level at the president. So what, um, what kind of pushes you into the ARA or what, what's, what's the things that, that pulls you towards those positions? And, uh, yeah. Um, I can blame a couple people. <laughs> I have been encouraged to apply for these positions. Um, you know, I, I don't speak first and I don't speak up unless I've got a great idea or a great, um, I don't know, urgency or passion to do so. And AI has been one of those passions. I think what we can do for the broader community has been um, special. And I didn't, I didn't know that's what we were doing. I didn't know that's what we could be doing. Um, but when I got to experience Christopher Kelly back in DC, I recognized that that is a thing collaborating with your competitors is a thing and that's a really healthy thing to do um and ai is the first place that that i know to go look for that um and in colorado we're lucky we've got a really good chapter and pretty long-standing and um very on the forefront of everything that the industry is doing so i dove right in um i couldn't help myself and i think definitely the program leading christopher kelly has has kind of launched that side of my career, that that part of my extracurricular volunteerism path. Um, but I but I don't serve in these positions lightly. I think it's it's pretty serious work, and and I'm always nervous and I'm always self conscious about how I could screw things up for people. <laughs> um, but it helps to have people in your corner. It helps to have people say, you know, you your voice is essential and and it needs to be there. Um, so it that makes me speak up more, hearing that people need that and hearing that that um, there's a place for that for me, uh, that's all I need to hear. And then I'll go all the way, I'll, I'll keep serving until I can't anymore, um, as long as there's a need for that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's so powerful, like just, especially in those sort of organizations it's like you you really gravitate to the to, towards those people who who step up right like it doesn't take much like because we all have so many things to do and everything it's easy to kind of sit back but it's like those few people that just like step up you're like oh yeah yeah you're the leader let's 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 do it you know and um um so so i know you just kind of started with this with your with your term here but so what what has anything been kind of surprising you or or like are you able to kind of start and affect the change that you thought you might be able to or what what are you doing um <laughs> i want to i want to make it clear that i'm not the one changing everything so there that's impossible um and i know you know that i'm just teasing um <laughs> the way aia works and should always work and has always worked is architects can do much more and much better together than they can individually or apart. Um, so that's what I want to do. And that's what I, what I think is most effective and most powerful. Um, Adam Harding, last year's president, our um, immediate past president has done a great job setting us up. He, he helped us overhaul our bylaws and get those cleaned up and professional and he helped set us up with a vision, focus, and values for the organization. Um, and we also chose some of those urgencies. So, so that includes environmental stewardship, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, which is big in the world right now, a little late to the party. Um, and then building a culture of belonging in Colorado is important to us too. Uh, it's a big state. We are dispersed um, and we are all of Colorado. So. We all deserve to be in this community with as loud a voices as those in the mass. Um, but those kind of stood out as our urgencies and our priorities for the next many years, I think. I think there are problems that we'll always be addressing and, and problem solving and 
um, designing solutions for, but now is the time. Those are the three that we're focusing on. So I have been sad to see one of our staff members go. She got a better opportunity. And um, when something like that comes across your plate, you can't pass it up. So I wish Megan the best, but we definitely miss her. And in her wake, we have a lot to do. We have a lot to live up to um, with fewer staff and luckily way more volunteers this year. So mm. I think given the COVID year, given kind of the craziness and the um, non-traditional way that we've done things at AIA or even at our firm, I was very pleasantly surprised to see the giant number of volunteers this year. We have 177, I think, in total. Um, compared to last year's 150. Really? That's interesting. And that's, and that's all virtual. That's, yeah. That's the work that we get to do. So I think, so that's, that's really interesting. Like, uh, well, not interesting, but just the idea of how as a profession and as a place we deal with issues of, of justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, right? Um, I'm on like the council, a uh, council for the, for CU right now about that. And, you know, and just trying to wrap your head around what are the issues and, and how do we, what are the next steps, right? Or how do you start to affect change? Um, so I think like, you know, you're in an interesting position because you've been here for so long and you know the community so well, like, uh, ha has, has that been an, you know, you talked a little bit about like seeing female professors um, but has that been an issue for you of, of being discriminated against be, being a woman here, like having to kind of fight through those, through some of those issues or? I don't think at all. Um, I'm sure there have been times where I've felt frustrated or, you know, behind the scenes, something has happened that I wasn't aware of, but I feel very privileged in that I've, I've not come up against any real roadblocks. I think the biggest for me, if you were to ask me which of my identities, whether it be age or ethnicity or gender or all of those, um, which has been the, the most difficult to navigate was age. Um, mm. I, I am a young AI Colorado president and I am, um, I was a young license, licensee um, getting my architecture license. So always being on the young side has been difficult for me. I, I take a little bit longer to um, grow confidence and to kind of build my own identity in certain realms, whether it be architecture or volunteerism. Um, so, so getting to the point before I'm ready, um, that's been the tough thing for me. And I remember dragging a friend along, dragging my colleague along to a talk that I was supposed to give. Um, I think it was at age 26 or 25. I was filling in for my boss. I was giving a talk to 40 people who had paid for an education session on evidence-based design. And I, I frankly said, you know, no one's going to look at my face and say, I'll pay for that. That little girl can teach me all day long. <laughs> It wasn't going to happen. So I brought Brian, who has a beard and has some gray hair. Um, and he was my assistant for the day. But we basically <laughs> came to an agreement that we were going to go have these on the, on the um, reimbursement. And I just needed an older face huh. in the crowd. Um, so that has always been perhaps a self-inflicted barrier or at least a self-awareness self piece that I've had to struggle with. Um, I, I do not want to make jokes about this either. I, I know for me, it's been a little lighter for other people. It's been really tough. And, um, I think the barriers to get into architecture are pretty extreme and we don't talk about that a lot. Um, I think if you look over time, what architects look like and where architects live and who architects learn from, that sets a precedent and, I'd like to see that precedent change. Um, I, I would love to see architecture evolve more broadly into kind of a community or citizen architect rather than this, this view of this architect that we've all grown up with. Um, and I think we're growing in that way, which is, which is cool and hopeful. Um, but I think 
just like we got to see little girls look up at Kamala Harris the other day and say, oh my God, it's actually possible. What about little girl architects hmm. at age five looking up and seeing, oh my gosh, it's possible for me. It's, it's uh, an option and I'm going to seek that path. And I think that's where the work lies really. It's, it's, it doesn't clean up the wound right away, but it's the long game that, that we really do have access to and can affect in a really positive way. Right. You know, yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting how you're talking about feeling discriminated because of your age, but it's like, it's because it's like, because you put yourself in those situations, you know, like you're good enough oh, yeah. to go and talk at those conferences before most people would, you know, and you have the skill set to do that. And you're putting yourself as the president before most people would, you know, so it's like, you're, you're like, you're good enough that you're breaking those barriers that they, that we get used to it. Right. And it's like, um, yeah, so good job. But <laughs> Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think in all of those cases, someone else has seen the skill or the, um, potential in me before I did. Um, so I can't mm. take all the credit. I definitely credit mentors and, and guides along the way for that, for sure. Yeah. So you brought this up earlier, but so you, you did leave Davis and you're at Smith Group now. So what, mm -hmm. what prompted that? Tell us a good juice. They called me. Or... <laughs> they called me. I, I, you know, I've been approached many times, um, probably started a little bit before DC, but I always said, you know, Davis has been a great family to me. Um, they've had my back and let's talk. I'm, I'm not going to close any doors, but I want to be upfront that, that I am loyal. And I've been at, I had been at Davis for gosh, seven years. Um, so a colleague that I had known tangentially through um, my scholarships that I had received to go to conferences for the Academy of Architecture for Health. So that's a nationwide knowledge community with AIA. Um, she called me up and said, hey, we have a local office now for Smith Group and you're on the list. Um, we've heard great things. Um, let's talk. And I said, great, let's go have coffee just so you know, I wasn't looking. Um, and it's actually been a really great move for me. I'm constantly impressed by the firm. Um, they handled COVID gloriously, are still doing so. Uh, the humanity there is surprising in, in the architecture industry. Just, um, it's been at every turn I've, I've enjoyed my experience there. So it's been a really positive move. It was a heartbreaking leave from Davis. Um, and, and that, it was tough. It was a tough two months. I was stressed out. I was sad. I was excited. Um, and it's been a great move for me. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting going from like a very large, local firm to a super large like international firm right but is the presence here pretty small the office the amount of tiny yeah, yeah. Huh. i think we're up to 18 or 19 hmm. in the office yeah we just renovated um to enlarge a smaller office that we had uh i think construction ended in july of 2020 so i haven't even seen the new office <laughs> um but but once we can all be in there as a group Group. it'll be nice to, to be all together again um we've been having our happy hours and just keeping in touch but you miss out on the environment you know yeah yeah definitely it's been a it's been a weird time you know I'm, I'm interested that you're my 11th guest now and I feel like nobody's really talked about COVID or like talked about this year like it's always been kind of hinted at in a way but it's not um I don't know why but so do you have, what, what would be your, like, do you have a, a low point in your career or like a low, like a, a story of the lowest, the lowest part? Oh man. Is it those, oh. is it that time graduating and trying and banging your head against doors and, or do you have something yeah, better? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, that was, that was really tough. Um, I remember, so my first project at Davis, um, I was put on this job with, who, who's actually now a, a 
mentor and friend of mine. Um, but at the time he hated that I was an intern and that I kept asking questions. Um, but I was put into a position that I didn't know how to do and that I needed a lot of help with. Um, and I remember just going to work every day scared that I'd mm. screw something up or that I would um, get caught doing something bad. I don't know, just just worried that that it was such an important job and that I that I wasn't qualified or or knowledgeable enough to do it and I think that was that was tough it was super rewarding when I could go on site with him and you know point something out that I thought was wrong but kind of um you know go out on a a ledge and say hey I think this is wrong but look at that thing up there um so when I caught a couple of those, it was, it was very rewarding. It was a huge success. I think the hardest thing for me has been leaving Davis. That was mm. one of the hardest um, efforts that I had to go through. It was, it was a lot of thinking, a lot of talking with mentors. I, I had probably three or four different lunch conversations with, with my longstanding mentors just saying, what do you think? Is this a good idea? Um, and at the same time, I was considering putting my name in the hat for presidency too. So it's kind of a double whammy of stress and decision-making, scenario planning. Um, but it's all for the best. It's all, um, I have the best experiences with everyone I've come across and, and I wish the best to all my Davis people and I'm excited for the future here at Smith Group too. Um, and, and talking to our volunteers today at AIA, we are up for a really big year, um, and I'm excited to see what we all can do. So what's what's the best part of your career? Have you had a, a mountaintop? Have you had a, where you look back and you say, oh, all that um, crap that I took was worth it, and this is awesome? <laughs> 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 I, I'm so passionate about... Um, I think I always have been, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about this storytelling stuff. I'm finding applications everywhere for it. Hmm. Um, you know, getting Smith group has given me a couple opportunities to write for them and kind of all of that combined into one has been a great experience. I think AIA has really helped balance my work, balance my professional life. So I think my move to Smith group and my work with AIA has been the highlight. Um, I think getting Mike Waldinger on board and working with Adam and um, Wells, who are, is our president-elect this year, uh, just really big people, smart people that I get to be a part of and, and learn from and be with. Um, so my highlight is right now, things are going really <laughs> well. And, um, COVID has allowed some fun things on the side at home too that, that are just projects, fun little things, but I am fully occupied and, and happy about it. Yeah, it's interesting how those kind of low points and high points can be right next to each other, right? Like that idea of leaving, but then when you when you land, it's it's still the best. But yeah. Yeah. So have you last question, have you had have you had a chance to to lay in a, a hospital bed of a of a building that you designed and look up at the lights and pat yourself on the back? <laughs> <laughs> No, I haven't, um, which is a good thing. That's a really good thing. I I have had the chance to lay in a hospital bed that a colleague designed. Um, and actually, my I had my mom talking with the nurses and doctors pointing out the lights. Like, well, you see how they're on the side here? That's really good. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been good. Um, and I don't ever want to be a patient in, in a cancer center or a mm. hospital and and, you know, we all have to, and we all get to, but I definitely look at those things. Well, cool. Well, thanks. You know, I, I, I asked Rebecca last night when I was trying to think about what to talk to you about. And I said, you know, what, what do you think about, what, what do you think about when you, when you think about Rachel and she's just like, you know, she's somebody who, who cares about people and really cares about bringing people together. And, and, and I've, yeah, just really like, I feel we haven't actually hung out that many times like we had dinner together and we like hung out a few times but I feel like you're such a good friend and and just that warmth yeah. and that kind of connectivity that you you create is is just great and 
and I'm excited to see how you keep leading the community here. So thanks. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> it's good to chat with you and good luck with this. This is, this is great. This is an overdue project. Um, good job. Cool. Well, thanks. Let's, let's get a beer soon. Once we're all vaccinated. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> stay safe. Stay healthy. See ya. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's show. You can visit architecting.com, that's architect-ing.com, to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.